Let's now turn, people of God, to his holy word as we turn to the book of Habakkuk this morning. The prophecy in the Old Testament of Habakkuk. A reading from this book, we'll be dealing with the the prophecy in in a sense, an overview of the message of this prophecy, but focusing especially upon a particular text, which is found in chapter 2, verse 4. So we'll read that too, but what I'm going to do is going to read chapter 1 in its entirety, and then we'll read chapter 2, verse 4, and then we'll read the last verses of the prophecy, chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. <clears throat> this is the word of God, then, in the book of Habakkuk. <clears throat> the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up, the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net? and mercilessly killing nations forever. Now turn the page to chapter 2. Let me just read verse 4 here. It reads as follows, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. That's talking about Babylon, actually. But the righteous shall live by his faith. That's the key sentence there. But the righteous shall live by his faith. And then in chapter 3, Let's end our reading of God's word by reading the last verses of the book, beginning at verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. So ends the prophecy of Habakkuk. May God add his blessing to 
our consideration of that beautiful book and its message this morning that the Holy Spirit may lead us into seeing the truth that God has contained here for us too as his people today as we reflect upon his word. People of God, there have been many fearful times, as you know, for God's people in the course of history. When you think back to the Old Testament and the experiences of the Israelites, there are times that they were filled with fear in the face of formidable enemies that came to attack them. Such at the time when they had just left the land of Egypt, the house of slavery, the bond from their bondage there, and then Pharaoh and his army came up behind them at the Red Sea, and the Israelites stood there with no place to go. They were terrified, says Scripture. They cried out to the Lord, and they indeed were ready almost yet to go back to Egypt once again. Until Moses told the people, Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Or there was a time when the army of Assyria had surrounded the city of Jerusalem in the days of King Hezekiah. And the Assyrian commander urged the people of Judah to give up, saying mockingly, how can the Lord deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? The threat was indeed real, and the people trembled. And Hezekiah pleaded with God to save Jerusalem. And God assured Hezekiah, through his prophets, that he would indeed deliver them, which he did when the angel of the Lord came at night and slew 185,000 Assyrian troops in one night, and the rest of the army then withdrew from Jerusalem. However, God not always intervene in such miraculous ways for his children. There were many Christians living in the early days of the church, who faced fearsome foes as well and were persecuted to death. They were told to recant their faith in Christ or they would be thrown to the hungry lions or burned at the stake alive. What a horrifying prospect they faced. And yet many of them went bravely to their martyr's death and even offered amazing testimonies of faith in their God. Well, so there are places still where God's children face fearful circumstances. Many true believers today, living, for example, in China, do not know when they will be arrested by the authorities for refusing to abide by the regulations of the government authorities. There are Christians living in Nigeria today who are constantly under the threat of Islamic terrorist groups who slaughter them who take all of their lands and burn their churches down. Now, in some sense, we in America also are living in fearful times, though nothing really like what other Christians are facing in the world today, I realize. We still live in a land, in a free land, and we still have a relative amount of security. But things are becoming rather uncertain here, too, for those who want to stay true to God and his holy word and not give in to the secular agendas, the anti-Christian movements that are being increasingly forceful in forcing their views upon us. And I I know you've heard this many times and are aware of all of that. We, We may not be afraid of our lives particularly, but increasingly Christians also face losing their job 
or being taken to court or being forced to pay hefty fines for not accepting the sinful demands that are placed upon them. Often think, what kind of America will it be that our posterity will be facing? And that's what makes these also sort of fearful times for many believing Christians. However, we have to keep in mind that God's people always have had to face enemies in their lives and that they need not fear. Things will test our faith, but indeed, we have a God who is sovereign and in control of all events. And so we want to consider that truth, that fact, as we look for a little while here at the book of Habakkuk, from which I just read a few portions this morning. And this is one of the 12 minor prophets found in the Old Testament. We rarely listen to them or hear about them or hear perhaps even sermons about them, but their messages are anything but minor. And so first of all this morning, let's ask, who was Habakkuk? And what were the times like when he lived and prophesied? Well, Habakkuk was a prophet of God who lived in the land or the nation of Judah. We really know very little about him personally. Some hold that his name means embraced or loved by God. But even that is not sure. Although he was a man who certainly did embrace and love the true God, the God Jehovah. He lived at the time when the kingdom of Judah was coming near to its end, around the year 605 to 604 before Christ. He was a contemporary of that great prophet that we know about, Jeremiah, who also prophesied in Judah during the reigns of its last kings, Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, who was the last king of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel was long gone by this time, as its tribes have been scattered by Assyria. But now another power had risen in the world. The Assyrian Empire had been replaced by the Babylonian Empire, which was threatening Judah. But you know what's unique? What's unique about the prophecy of Habakkuk, and you may have noticed that as you listen to me read from it this morning, what's unique is that it does not record really a direct message from God for Habakkuk to deliver to the people of Judah. That is, Habakkuk was not told in this prophecy that we read, at least, to speak words to his compatriots, to his fellow nation. Even though later on, I, I'm sure they, they read what his prophecy, and they no doubt in some way encountered what he had written. Because Habakkuk, you see, is essentially a dialogue, a conversation between the prophet Habakkuk and God. Habakkuk in this prophecy is speaking to God and God is responding to him. Habakkuk is presenting his concerns and God indeed is giving him his assurance. And we see that throughout this prophecy, it begins in the first chapter and also ends in the last chapter, the last chapter ends then with a prayer, a beautiful prayer of the prophet Habakkuk to the Lord, cast in the form of a beautiful poem or song. And so here we have a conversation then between a child and a servant of God and his sovereign Lord. But you see, in that sense, 
we can say that Habakkuk also represents all of God's peoples, all of his children's concerns and prayers to God, and how God responds to our concerns and our prayers. God knows what we think when we turn to him and speak to him and think of him and pray to him. And he also gives us his answers and responses through his holy word. And so with that in mind, let, let me turn now to, to the message here contained then in Habakkuk. First, this conversation shows or is a message of faith that has been shaken. And secondly, it is a message that shows faith that is needed in times of fear. And then thirdly, it manifests a faith that is triumphant. You see, first of all, we see that the faith of Habakkuk was shaken here. How come? Well, due to several concerns that he mentions, the first is that Habakkuk was seeing the many sins, the many evil deeds that were committed right in his own country, right in his own nation of Judah. And you can hear that in the opening words of the prophecy, where Habakkuk says to God in verses 2 to 4, let me reread them, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Now clearly, Habakkuk is upset here as he sees all the evil that is being perpetrated right in his own land of Judah. He sees all the violence that is being committed, the destruction. He sees that the laws of God are being ignored, that the courts do not offer any justice, instead making perverse judgments. But you know what really troubled Habakkuk is that God didn't seem to be doing anything about these things. God seemed to be turning a blind eye towards what was happening. So that Habakkuk cries out to him, why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Don't you sometimes want to say that also? As you look at the evil, the wrongs that are being committed all around us every day in our country and world, you only have to listen to the newscasts if you even listen to them on the radio or the television. They report on violence and iniquity every single day. In fact, I sometimes wonder if there would be even be a newscast left if they did not do so. And so it, it's a good question. Why does God now allow all of this evil in this world? Isn't he powerful enough to stop wicked people from committing evil deeds? Can't he stop the terrorist attacks that we read about? Why does he permit wars? to continue with all their consequences? Why does he permit the killing of millions of unborn babies? Because the mothers do not want to bear them. Why does he tolerate the horrible crimes that we hear about every day that kill and ruin people's lives? Why does he let his people openly, why does he let people openly defy his laws in gay parades and celebrating their sinful conduct. Yes, Habakkuk, like many of God's children, was shaken by God's seeming inaction in the face of evil. But God was not indifferent 
to what was happening in Judah, nor is he indifferent towards what is happening today. And you know what he told Habakkuk? He told the prophet, I am not at all not concerned at all. Let me tell you, in fact, what I have planned. But this is going to shake you. I'm going to send an enemy against Judah, a powerful, fearsome enemy, and they will inflict horrible punishment on the land of Judah. Listen again to verses 5 to 8 in chapter 1, where God replies to Habakkuk. This is God's answer to him. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that if you would believe, not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their judgment and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horses press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. He's describing in these words, he's describing the fearsome army of Babylon coming to devour all the nations around it. That's the answer that God gives to Habakkuk. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send that nation against you. God certainly knew what was going to happen, that they would conquer and destroy the land of Judah and take the people of Judah captive. And and as Habakkuk heard this, he was shook to the core. He thought, is that what's going to happen? Is that your response? It's not a precise peril, but if I said to you that in a few years there will be a group of terrorists who would succeed in detonating a nuclear bomb in our country, which will bring utter chaos to our cities. You maybe wipe out the government in Washington, D.C. I know that that just sounds impossible. What would your reaction be? Or if half a century from now, you, God would actually let the people conquer our land. Uh, Militant Islam will be the world power. Communist China will be in control of the world. What would you think of that? Do you believe it? Well, Habakkuk could, could not believe that God would actually let the Babylonians conquer Judah totally and destroy it all. And they were just as treacherous and wicked as the Assyrians before them. Why would God allow that wicked empire to execute such judgment upon the people of Judah. You see, that's what perplexed Habakkuk. That's what shook his face. But God had an answer to that perplexing question of Habakkuk. And that brings me to our second main point this morning, which is that God urged the prophet and all his people, in the face of what he just said, to live by faith. What they needed was a firm faith in him in such dreadful times. And that's indicated in verse 4 of chapter 2. In chapter 2 of the prophecy, God speaks about the Babylonians. He begins with his denouncement of them in verse 2. God says there, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. He is denouncing Babylon for its pride. He speaks of Babylon, in fact, in singular pronouns, if you noticed. It could be that God may be thinking of specifically of the ruler of Babylon, the king, 
who represents the attitude of, of this powerful empire. Maybe he's even referring to King Nebuchadnezzar, who conquered Judah and let and left the people, left, took the people into captivity and left just a few there remaining. Nebuchadnezzar, who certainly manifested pride, as you know from the book of Daniel. Yes, God certainly knew that every, that the enemy he was bringing on Judah would also, was also an evil nation, also deserving of his judgment. Just because he was using the Babylonians to punish Judah, doesn't mean that God approved of the Babylonians and what they did. He knew they were just as, if not even more wicked and deserving of his judgment. And he would indeed destroy them also. He would punish Babylon. He says in verse 8 of chapter 2, because you've plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. Babylon too would join the ash heap of demolished empires. But in the meantime, how should God's people face and react to these evil powers? And well, the last part of verse 4 gives the answer. But the righteous shall live by his faith. If you want to underline any text in Habakkuk, that would be one of them. Key text. You've all heard these words. But the righteous shall live by his faith. We know them best, of course, in the book of Romans. Chapter 1, verse 17. That great Reformation text is a text that opened the eyes of Martin Luther to how he could have peace with God, not through his own deeds and piety, but only by faith. The just shall live by faith. Luther was converted through this message, this text. The righteous shall live by his faith. Romans 1, 17. And you see, Paul actually was quoting there the words of the prophecy of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous shall live by his faith. But there is a slightly different emphasis in Habakkuk on the need for faith by God's people from what Paul is using it for in his letter to the Romans. Paul cited this text to show that justification Being right with God can only be given to us by faith in him, not through our works. Faith is the only instrument by which the sinner can be made righteous before God, by which God will receive us and forgive us and save us. That's why we need faith, first of all, to be justified, to be made righteous before God. But you see, people of God, we also need faith in our daily walk of life in our daily life of faith, in, our, in our, what we call our sanctification. You can't just say, well, I, I believe in Jesus, I'm saved, praise the Lord, and live as you please. You have to live by faith each day. We must trust in Christ and his Holy Spirit so that we can live a grateful, godly life. You also need faith in times of crisis, whether it be a sickness or disease that you are dealing with, or maybe even facing imminent death, or you're living with sorrow or with loneliness or discouragement in your heart, then also you need to live by faith. And so the point of God in Habakkuk is that the righteous must live by his faith as he confronts or as we confront our fearful circumstances. 
The Babylonians were going to come to Judah. They would conquer the land, devastate it. All the walls of the city would be torn down. God certainly knew that these were a wicked nation, wicked peoples. But his own people were to live by faith in such fearful times. What kind of faith did they need? They needed faith in the sovereignty of God. That is, the righteous needed to know that God is still supreme over all the affairs of men and nations. We need to remember that in our day as well, things are constantly changing in the realm of our national and world affairs. We don't know what lies ahead in our world and in our nation. But one thing will never change, and that is that God is on the throne. He rules over all the affairs of men. That's what gives us assurance. Chapter 2 of Habakkuk has another familiar text that it ends with, one that you've heard many times, I'm sure. Particularly, we hear at the beginning of a worship service on the Lord's Day. It says in chapter 2, verse 20, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Now, what is that holy temple where God is? Habakkuk doesn't mean the church here. He's talking about heaven, where God lives and rules from. God is in his holy temple in heaven. That's his holy dwelling. And if you read the verse in its context, Habakkuk is contrasting God with the useless and lifeless idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, that the pagan peoples were trusting in and worshiping. But over against these idols... The Lord lives in his holy temple of heaven from which he reigns over all the nations. He is the sovereign God. Therefore, let all the earth keep silence before him. And so what we need is a faith that recognizes the greatness and the power and the sovereignty of God. We also need a faith that clings to the mercy and the grace of God. The Babylonians may come and destroy Judah, says Habakkuk, but they, says God to Habakkuk, but they can never destroy the righteous, because the righteous shall live by his faith. Yes, what God says through Habakkuk and also then to us is that all of his people, all those of every age, of every place whom he has in his mercy redeemed, must believe in him. They can trust in him because he will give them a life that is forever that can never be taken from them. As Jesus said, even if people can destroy the body, they can never kill the soul. We need the faith that's expressed in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, and though the mountains are moved into the heart of the seas, though its waters roar and foam, and the nations rage, and the kingdoms are moved. But God lifts his voice. And the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, says the writer of Psalm 46. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so what is God's answer to Habakkuk and to all his people in fearful times? His answer is the righteous shall live by his faith. Faith in the Lord, the sovereign God. Faith in Christ, the great and glorious Savior of his people. He is the strength of all those who trust in him. What a, what a tremendous message for Habakkuk himself, but also for all the godly people left in Judah. 
and for all of God's people at all times, past, present, and future. And now how did Habakkuk respond to that message? Well, chapter 3 of his prophecy records the prophet's response again to God. And so we turn lastly then to note that faith, that manifests faith that is triumphant. Speaks of a faith that is victorious. I mentioned earlier that this last chapter of the book is really a prayer of Habakkuk cast in the form of a poem. Or you might say this is like a psalm actually, a beautiful psalm. It begins in verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Then it adds the phrase there, according to Shagayanath. Shagayanath is a Hebrew term whose meaning we don't really know for sure any longer today, but likely this is a, a musical, some kind of a musical notation. Because the end of the chapter in the prophecy of Habakkuk says, to the choir master with my stringed instruments. Uh, what the, this suggests is that this third chapter then came to be used as a song, as, as a psalm that was sung by God's people in later times. Uh, Maybe the godly who remained in Judah or those who returned again sang these words when they returned from exile and rebuilt the temple of the Lord. In any case, this is a beautiful psalm and prayer that we have here in the third chapter. And if you read it very carefully, you will notice that it does not contain too much asking. It doesn't really ask for something. It does do it in verse 2. The prophet there does present a petition to God when he says, O Lord, I've heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk prays that God would show his mighty deeds again, his wonders, as he had done of old in the sight of the people of the nations. He wanted God to to once again renew his grace, the manifestation of his love. In wrath, remember mercy. Yes, as we see God's wrath today in the conflicts, in the wars, in the pestilences, in the storms, in other events of our times, as we see the judgments of God, we pray that he will also still show mercy and bring many to his saving knowledge of him and to his word. And then Habakkuk proceeds to write some, recite some of the mighty acts of God that he, that he performed in Israel's past history, like his deliverance of them through the Red Sea. But then towards the end of the prophecy, we hear the testimony of a triumphant faith by Habakkuk. He's heard what God is going to do to Judah. He certainly, his faith was shaken at first. But now he says in verse 16, I hear my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. He means the sound of the armies of Babylon that will be coming. My legs tremble beneath me as he thinks about the upcoming battle. But then he adds this, yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Yes, now he knows that God is in full control. And even if he must judge Judah, For its sins, their enemies too would face God's judgment. His righteousness would be manifested among all the nations. God's cause will triumph. And so the prophecy ends with a triumphant faith as the prophet 
faces hard and fearful times ahead. He writes, beginning in verse 17, you may have heard these words before, magnificent words. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. There you have the expression of a triumphant faith. When a child of God can say, even if things go bad, even if life becomes difficult, even if I lose whatever I have, even if I'm like the farmer who has no crop to harvest and no animals left in his barns, And this past week, or before this past week, I thought for a while this summer that some more area farmers would indeed lose most or all of their crops from the drought. But but, but even then, even then, the child of God can say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Can you say that? Of course, you can easily nod, yes. We we can say that if everything, if, if we have everything that we need and more. But let's say you did lose your health and strength. Let's say you lost your business or your job. Let's say you even lost your house to foreclosure. Let's say if you're younger and, and, and all your plans and your hopes for a career or vocation are, are not working out for you. Or let's say you will be persecuted like people are today in, in lands like Nigeria, where they take all that they have from them and kill them. Even your freedom and your life is lost. But would your faith, would your faith in the Lord endure? Do you possess a faith that is triumphant, even in fearful times? Remember the song of Habakkuk. And pray that his words of faith in God may live and resonate in your hearts even already today, so that they will sustain you if and when days of trial come. And you can say as well, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you this morning for your word to us your response to your people as you responded to your servant Habakkuk of old, and also as you speak to us through his prophecy, that you're the almighty God, that you're the sovereign over all things, that indeed you are just and righteous in all that you do, but that you're also a God of mercy and grace. May our faith be firm in you at all times, whatever the future also may hold. May it stay true and strong, a faith that is there even in times of fear, even in times of trial, even when we face uncertainties, even death itself. May we have that faith in you, knowing that you are the God who is our God, and you have given us your only Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whom we have life that is forever. May that faith indeed be burning in our hearts today. In his name we pray. Amen.